Hello, and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and the founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. And today, I have the special privilege of introducing you to my naturopath doctor, Dr. Margaret Michaelis. She is the owner of Living Natural Inc., which is an established center for natural health care and family medical practice in Nashua, New Hampshire. She's a naturopathic doctor and an Ayurvedic practitioner, and she's been in practice for over a decade. So welcome, very warm welcome to the Peace with Diva podcast, Dr. Nicholas. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. So I wanted Dr. Margaret to talk to us about PCOS and food sensitivities and how that can really um, sort of stir up the flames of inflammation in women with PCOS. And uh, I know if, if you've been following me, you know that I really um, advocate a gluten-free, processed soy-free, and um, you know, low-dairy, dairy-free diet. And those are all um, common food sensitivities, I think, for women with PCOS. But we're really just scratching the surface on those food sensitivities. So that's why you know, I, I wanted Dr. Mar Margaret to sort of speak to um, food sensitivities and food allergy testing, which my husband and I just did her awesome food allergy test. And I, I'll tell you a little bit about the, how that has been life-changing for us. Um, but why don't we just start, Dr. Margaret, with, um, you know, how you think food plays a role in helping us manage our PCOS symptoms? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Amy. Well, first of all, I want to just say that I'm so grateful, you know, to be here and to be talking, you know, to your audience. Um, you know, food sensitivities as a whole affect over 100 million people worldwide. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing for the folks, um, you know, that are suffering with PCOS. And I, I love your perspective in regards to thinking about food as medicine. Um, when we talk a little bit more about the testing that I do, um, you know, we'll, I'll, be, I'll get into a little bit more of the, you know, the, the guts of why specific testing, in my opinion, is really important, which you know, really sort of interplays with some of the other suggestions that you obviously make. But you kind of hit on something right off the bat here and understanding that, yes, we, we know with PCOS that there's some commonalities with having sensitivities um, or frank allergies to certain foods. But scratching the surface is just the basic. And I would say yes with PCOS and yes with just food sensitivities in general. Um, you can really respond to anything. Right, and so we might say like folks with PCOS are suffering from having a sensitivity to gluten or maybe sugar, or maybe dairy, but in the realm of really understanding all the food categories and potential cross reactions, the truth of the matter is is there can be other culprits. So we've drawn some really good correlations with understanding specifics about those foods that we know can generally cause more inflammation in the body. But really, every person is an individual, right? That's why not every single PCOS client that you have um, looks the same. And so, right. you know, food is medicine, like you say on your website, and it's really true. Food is medicine, and 
food is medicine, specific foods are medicine for specific people. So where I find, you know, you know, food being, playing a role, you know, as far as, you know, having some sort of a pathology or having a syndrome like PCOS, you know, you truthfully have to understand what's going on with the person and what, what do they look like, you know, what is their constitution so that you can really understand which foods are best for them. And, and you can do that, you know, um, from the standpoint of looking at a, at, a, at a disease, let's say. So somebody has insulin resistance and we'll probably say, okay, well, we don't want to consume the foods that create more insulin resistance. And we do know what some of those foods are, but we don't know what all of those foods are, you know, in reference to a specific individual. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's, it's funny because I think that you really hit the nail on the head that there is really no one-size-fits-all approach, that we're all bio-individuals and kind of like what food might... Um, you know, make, you know, me thrive may make another woman with PCOS, um, you know, feel much more inflamed. So I, I think that we have to sort of approach food, um, you know, not looking at it that it's this, you know, across the board, hard and fast rule. Absolutely. So, you know, I think, you know, you and I can have a big chuckle and a long conversation about wheat and gluten, right? And we know, you know, that those are really common foods, but maybe perhaps not every single person that is suffering with PCOS is going to necessarily have an issue with wheat and gluten. And this is why it's, you know, in the realm of understanding, you know, why somebody has a condition, what are the components, right? We're really trying to look at what's the underlying cause. So it's not enough to know that the person has an issue with gluten. And it's usually, and I think you'll agree with this, and I, and I bet a lot of you, you know, the folks in your audience will say the same thing, it's, it's not always going to be, you know, you know, very clear as to, okay, this person's going to have this problem um, across the board because they have this, this, and this going on. So they have hypothyroid, they have, you know, insulin resistance, you know, they have... Um, you know, issues with androgens, you know, it's not always going to be that clear. And so if we can t take a step back and really look at the individual and try to figure out what the cause is, we're going to get closer and in some cases simplify treatment. So if a person that really could consume gluten, now a lot of people probably with PCOS, you know, and we can get into the reasons why, I think, you know, beyond what we know about gluten sensitivities or frank celiac disease, you know, a lot of the reason why people have issues with gluten is because gluten is an inflammatory food, right? So, and sugar is inflammatory. So when we start to connect the dots, we can really see, wow, okay, well, this is inflammatory and this is inflammatory, and the person is dealing with inflammation. So if you have, like, let's say they don't have a sensitivity, you're going to generally get, you kind of, kind of hit it in lots of ways by decreasing inflammation, which is probably what a lot of the folks that you've, you know, worked with have had some good experience with just decreasing inflammation. Where you can take it to the next level is by looking at specifically what is the cause of the inflammation. So if it's not just gluten, right, if it's something else, we want to figure out what that is. And that could be anything, right? That could be food. It could be some sort of a toxic-related scenario. There could be some sort of impact that the person is 
is dealing with. And then, of course, we, we get into some of the more esoteric components of, you know, the spiritual realm and all these other things that might potentially be influencing it. There, there's many things, I think, at the end of the day. And, and I think the more we can familiarize ourselves with what the components are and what are the cause, then we'll be able to be in a better position to get somebody, um, you know, back to optimal health and have success. Yeah, and I think that th that once you get to that feeling, good feeling, and that's what I, I help women do with the Jumpstart program, which, you know, we're kind of eliminating those major um, inflammatory foods and adding in lots of anti-inflammatory foods. Um, and you get to a point where you feel really good and you in and that, and you kind of understand the idea, the concept of nothing tastes as good as feeling good feels. And then yeah. my my Sparkle program, we take that even a step further, where it's a, a 14 day detoxification program. So you're you're really um, cutting out even more foods because you're eating, you're having two of the you know, Sparkle shakes a day, and then um, the the rest of your food comes from you know clean animal protein or um, fruits and and vegetables, and really not a lot of grains. Um, so you're you're taking that even further, and then you get to the point after the sparkle, and you're like, wow, I feel really good. Now I'm, I'm kind of afraid of, you know, eating regularly again. I don't want to lose that feeling, good feeling. I'm not really sure what I should be eliminating from my diet, and it ends up being kind of like a, um, you know, a, a, an experiment. You know, you might add corn back in and see how you feel with corn, or you might add eggs back in for a couple days and see how you feel. But you have a tool that kind of fast tracks all of that for us, and yeah. I, I would love for you to tell us about it. Um, and it was something you know I want to tell. Uh, I did your test that you're going to talk about um, over the summer, and it's been a huge impact in my life. And I'm excited to tell everybody about it too. Well, it's so great, and I think your Jumpstart and your Sparkle program are so amazing. It's like you can't to get somebody to that level to then cross over to have. It's just like it's coming out of a cave, right? All of a sudden, the light's starting to shine, and you're starting to feel better and get back to yourself. And certainly for many women, this is just, um, you know, just really the, the icing on the cake um, in so many ways because they haven't been feeling good. They've been struggling possibly with, a lot, you know, weight gain and other problems that are related, you know, hypofunctioning endocrine system and other things that are related to their syndrome. And all of a sudden, like, wow, they've made some changes that they have had a direct impact on, right, because they're doing the work ultimately. So they've, had a direct, they've made this direct impact in their life, and they're feeling better. And then they get to that place where it's like, okay, well, I, I, I am a little bit tentative about bringing some foods back in. And what I can say about that is that this next level, like, so we say, okay, the Sparkle Program, and then what's the other option for you to get closer and to be able to Take the grit, like your foundational programs with the Jumpstart and the Sparkle program, as far as I'm concerned, those are really amazing foundational programs that start people off on the right foot and, and send them soaring into the direction towards health. If we could just add another component to that, in my opinion, which is to be able to look at, okay, what are the specific foods that could be also aggravating you? Because when we have inflammation, right, and we know that there's certain foods that are going to cause inflammation, you know, inflammation plus inflammation equals inflammation. But if there's a food that's there, like I said before, that we don't know that's necessarily also contributing, we're still going to be targeting the immune system and the, negative, and the endocrine system in a negative way. 
And so what, what the food inflammation test does is it really looks closely in a very specific and sensitive way to 132 foods so that you can actually get closer to understanding. And I can promise you there's always a surprise. I don't, I don't have your test results in front of me, and I don't know if you want to get into any of this detail, but usually with most of my clients, there's some sort of surprise event from doing their food sensitivity testing. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they come out of it saying, wow, I had no idea that this was also part of the picture, and I'm consuming this food, and by the way, this is a really good food. This is what I hear a lot of, Amy. This is a really good food. I had no idea that it could be causing me any problems. And lo and behold, it, they're having such a strong immune response to that particular food, and maybe it's not even within the category of what we know is commonly known inflammatory foods, but how that person's responding is in an inflammatory way, and we can argue that even with some of the, taking out some of the more inflammatory foods that are notorious for causing additional inflammation, we can argue that they, that, that individual who's eating the foods that they're sensitive to, they're, they're inspiring more inflammation because of the fact that they're sensitive. So the truth yeah. of the matter is, is it gives you another basis for saying, okay, well, if you knew that corn was on your list and you were having a strong reaction to corn, you wouldn't bring it in back into your diet after the Sparkle program. In fact, you would want to take it out even longer so that you would have that, you know, another opportunity to really improve, you know, gut permeability and to take time to calm down the immune system. Because really when we talk about inflammation, it's like it's just a dance. Inflammation is just a dance between you and your immune system, okay? And every time you have a food that's playing a role in that dance, and, or, you know, the, it's the orchestration to that dance, you're, you're, it's the collective effects, right? So this is why when, you know, we look at food being important, exercise is important, you know, making sure that you're, you know, doing self-care. And, and, you know, within all of those aspects of treating a, a syndrome like PCOS, you know, just like looking at inflammation in a big picture and saying, okay, what are all the, what are all the contributing factors? We can actually make more progress. So for me, in my clinical practice with all of my clients, I'm really looking to do sensitivity testing because I want them to get closer and to have more success with things like your foundational programs with Jump Start and Sparkle so that then they can have longer lasting and in many cases reverse the damage that's done you know, which is what we're aiming for, so. Well, I love that, that visualization of, of the dance um, of inflammation and, and, you know, it's too much, it kind of pushes you into that autoimmune um, place where you're susceptible to more autoimmune issues. And women aren't with PCOS are, like Hashimoto's um, and, and celiac and other autoimmune disorders. Uh, the question that I have is the the food allergy panel that that I did and my husband did and I'm and I and I do want to share about my results. But how does that differ? Because it was just a pinprick, um, you know, on my finger where you, where you just you know blotted a little bit of blood, you know, on a on a piece of paper. Um, how does that differ from going to an allergist and having all of those pinpricks on your back, which I know I've taken my kids to the allergist and. Um, you know, this is a very different kind of um, test, test, so maybe you could just explain 
Absolutely, how, yeah. So what your kids did is really looking for food allergies and a particular immune response, okay, which is known as an IgE type 1 hypersensitivity. That's not the food sensitivity test that you did in my office where we did a finger stick and put your blood sample on blots and then we sent it to the lab. That's what's called an IgG delayed, okay, hypersensitivity. And there's a lot of information about the differences from an immune standpoint, but what I can tell you is one is true. So we really have a division here of food allergies, food sensitivities, and food intolerances. And food allergies seem pretty clear. Like usually in most cases I would say, and this is from my clinical practice. Now an allergist may have, you know, uh, you know, more information to add to this, but you know, there are people that are allergic, type one hypersensitivity, and I often use the case of anaphylaxis as a really clear cut case, like peanut anaphylaxis. So, what happens when that that person comes in, and sometimes if they really are allergic, right? There's still levels of allergies. Like, not every person that has an allergy to peanuts has anaphylaxis. Okay, but somebody who does, like. They could come in a room and if peanuts were airborne, they could have an anaphylaxis response, okay, which airways could be shut off. They could, you know, need intervention very quickly. That's a very quick response, okay? That happens very fast. Where food sensitivities come in, and I like to, I like to look at this in a different way. So from the standpoint of the immune system, there's a lot happening there. And because so much is happening there, it's, it's less of a quick response. So certain cells are talking to certain cells, and it's typically within a 12-hour period where you're going to see a response. Now, that's sort of interesting because I can say there's, there's definitely outliers. Like there's some people that say, oh my gosh, and our immune system is so dynamic, so when I give time or response rates or anything, it's really also based on the individual. I have patients that say, if I consume gluten, I won't have a response for two days. And then I have other patients who say, like, I know really soon, like within a couple hours if I've had gluten because my fingers start to get inflamed or I get really thirsty or I wake up in the middle of the night. So 12 hours isn't the magic number, but it's a delayed response. So the difference between that and a type 1 hypersensitivity is, is, is really in many ways time, okay? A food intolerance is a condition where the body reacts to food because um, there's a lack of an enzyme and then damage to the gut lining from a disease or antibiotics, you know, but it's not necessarily that, that, that aspect. There is a genetic component, there can be a genetic component that predisposes the person to a food intolerance, excuse me, food intolerance, um, but the reality is, is it's not, you know, necessarily the same response that you would see in a delayed hypersensitivity or in a type 1 hypersensitivity which is what we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation in regards to what your kids experienced when they went to the allergist. Mm -hmm. So they had that skin test that was done, and then they were watching, you know, um, a response at the level of the skin, a type 1 hypersensitivity response, IgE mediated, okay? The interesting thing about that, what I want to just make one other point is, so yes, people can be allergic IgE to many, many things. But oftentimes it's fairly clear, like the person might eat something and they get, you know, they get, you know, um, an itchiness in their mouth or their throat or they ha develop hives or something like that. 
I typically see with IgG, so that's the delayed, that's the food sensitivity you did in my office. I typically see in those cases, and, and this is my theory, that over time as the person consumes food that they're sensitive to, that's where the gut begins to break down. So we have, mm -hmm. you know, our GI tract has the ability, every time we consume food, right, our body is presented with food antigens and the body is saying, can I assimilate this or can I not assimilate it? If the body can't assimilate it, it's going to eventually, you know, bind and make these, you know, these complexes that end up breaking down. If you are sensitive to food, they will end up over time breaking down the lining of the GI tract, okay? And that's when we begin to see immune responses at the level, certainly of the GI tract, no doubt, right? But then at the level of the systemic immune system. So now they're beginning to really correlate that there's some really clear understanding that food sensitivities can lead to bigger pathologies, okay? There's so many articles that are coming out right now that, are, that just are being, you know, people are, you know, sending to me saying, oh, look at this work, it's this doctor's doing. There's a pediatric doctor, I think, in California who's really drawn a correlation between, um, I think, Crohn's and food sensitivities and doing specific diets to really decrease inflammation. So I look at a food sensitivity is, and as that slower, insidious problem that doesn't become a problem until it really becomes a problem. But it's wreaking havoc on your body until you start to become symptomatic. And again, this all starts at the level of the digestive tract, specifically also for PCOS. So in my opinion, when you look at the bigger problems as to why a person might be having, if it's not a toxic-related issue, ultimately, in my opinion, from the standpoint of PCOS, the, the truth of the matter is, is it starts with the GI tract. And then things go askew from there. And that's a bigger topic of conversation. But at the end of the day, we can really look at food allergies as more of that type 1 hypersensitivity, IgE-mediated. Food sensitivities, type 2 and type 3, is delayed hypersensitivity. And then food intolerance being enzyme deficiency, problems with food additives, damage to the gut lining from chemicals and toxins. So I hope that answers your question. It seems a little bit confusing because we kind of use those terms loosely, but the food test that we did is really, in my opinion, looking at how your body is responding from an inflammatory standpoint, IgG-mediated. Yeah, and didn't Hippocrates say all disease begins in the gut? <laughs> yeah, and Hippocrates wasn't the first to say that, by the way. When you start reading, you know, the classical ancient texts of Ayurveda, going back deep into that Vedic knowledge, all of it comes back to the GI tract. And I look forward to someday perhaps having a conversation about the bigger aha moments that Ayurveda really talks about, you know, as to why something like food would affect and cause a syndrome like PCOS. Uh, I cannot <laughs> wait for that conversation because, you know, when we've talked about this, how, how much I love Ayurveda and how much... Um, Balancing my dosha has really helped me manage my PCOS, and we will have you on soon, Dr. Margaret, to talk to talk about Ayurveda and PCOS. Um, well, that's and great. I, just, I look forward to. It. And I also just wanted to direct listeners to um, my posts and podcasts on the on my site. Uh, Dr. Felice Gersh has talked a lot about gut 
and, and PCOS and, and inflammation. So it really, they, they all tie together. And I believe that learning your food sensitivities and getting to know them and start eliminating those foods can make a tremendous difference in your health. I've, I've um, seen it in myself over the last six months since I've gotten my food allergy panel done by um, Dr. Margaret and my husband as well. So, so I have to tell you that I um, probably ate eggs um, two to three times a week, either for lunch or um, like on the weekend for breakfast, and certainly, you know, in a lot of different paleo muffins and things that, that I was creating, um, I ate a lot of eggs, and I was floored to find out that um, on a scale of zero to five, five being, you know, the highest um, level of intolerance, that egg whites is basically up at the five line for me, and egg yolks is about four and a half. Um, so egg, I have removed eggs from my diet, and I can tell you that um, I've noticed more energy. Like, I don't feel so fatigued, um, and I used to kind of chalk that up to the grains, um, like in a, in a muffin or something like that, and I, but I really think it's the eggs. Wow, that's amazing. How long have you had them out so far? Just out of curiosity. Um, so I, well, <laughs> we're going to turn. See. I did it in So I did this um, in July. So I don't know if it's quite six months. So July, August, September. Yeah, it's about six six months. Um, and I'll tell you, it wasn't easy through the holidays. You know, trying to find vegan <laughs> vegan substitutes. Oh yeah. Um, for and you for had egg goods, yolk and, and egg white. Yeah like four plus. So, so maybe you can just explain like the different level of reactions and how the report sort of comes out. Um, and I can sure, post sure, a picture sure. of mine, mine um, you know, if people are interested. Well, I just, pull, I just happened to be in front of my computer and I pulled your results up from my um, secured site. But um, yeah, you had egg yolk and egg white, which was a four plus reaction class. And there's typically five reaction class. So there's four plus, which is severe. 3 plus, which is high, 2 plus, which is moderate, 1 plus, which is mild, and then no reaction. And so um, some people are curious about, okay, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean she had egg yolk and egg white? Um, one of the cool things about this test is that it's looking at yolk and it's looking at white. Now, in truth, we can't really separate the yolk and the white. So typically, like, you know, if some people get excited because they only have egg yolk, I, I have to you know, give them the bad news that it's really all egg. It's just that we're trying to look at the whole versus the parts. And so sometimes it's actually really helpful for us to understand, like in the case of wheat and gluten, if somebody's having a really strong response to gluten, well, that's really, really clear to me, you know, that gluten grains really need to be removed. So egg yolk and egg white were in your four-plus reaction class, and you were having a severe response. And, and I don't think you and I ended up... Um, I don't know how much we discuss this at length, but, you know, I typically tell people that anything in the 4 plus and the 3 plus reaction class, and frankly, anything 2 plus, 3 plus, and 4 plus, you know, you, you have to really look at this is really causing a big problem in the GI tract. I mean, a lot of these tests, you know, ultimately, what they're really pointing to is that there is some sort of issue from a gut immunology standpoint where... The inflammation and the permeability and the problems with, 
you dealing with food antigens are they're just they're it's not a happy um, experience for your for your gut. And so when I see these things, basically what I tell people is that we're trying to find what the obstacle to cure is. Okay. So once we see that what that is in the food, we need to pull it out. Okay. We need to pull it out, and we have to take a, a period of time away from it to one decrease inflammation, and two, calm down the immune system. Sometimes that takes longer in people than in other people. And then sometimes a two-plus reaction class, so it's not like if you have a four-plus, you're necessarily going to be on the floor keeled over, but sometimes you are actually. And so it's really based on the individual. But what I tell people is, because oftentimes people are like, well, you have, this, you have these treatment guidelines, but why do I have to follow this if I don't feel like I'm having that strong of a response. Well, if you're not having that strong of a response, do you want to wait until you are having that strong of a response, or do you kind of want to nip it in the bud and calm things down so that maybe perhaps you can bring the food back into rotation and have it from time to time without having, you know, a really big issue? That's one scenario. The other scenario is if you have a lot of pathology and a lot of inflammation. So. We're talking to an audience that has PCOS already. PCOS, and I think probably you will agree with me, if we wanted to really just, okay, what's one word that we could break down and say? We could say PCOS is inflammation. Okay, so if we have inflammation in the body already, because we have PCOS, we want to stop that. And so if you're having a strong immune response and you're eating foods that are causing more inflammation, you really want to stop that. So taking the food out for a specific period of time, and then it's kind of like what you were saying with your jump start and your sparkle. It's like, okay, well, what next? Like, well, what next is we want to have a cure? So the body doesn't cure overnight, as you know, Amy, right? And as your listeners know, it takes time. So all of the things that happen with PCOS, so the hypothyroid, the androgen issues, the you know, the acne, the obesity, you know, the anovulation, menstrual irregularity, like all of those things that are happening, one thing we, I think we can really all agree on is that it's multi-system. So it's not just the reproductive system, right? The fats involved, the endocrine system's involved. And so it becomes this multi-system problem that you need to address. And if you're not addressing it from the root cause of inflammation, you're not going to get there. And that's why a lot of people that struggle don't end up making the progress they want to make because they think that there's necessarily a time limit on it. What your site offers and what your programs offer is a way of life to change so that you can actually get better and cross over. And so that's really why I think food sensitivity testing is important because it's giving you an additional tool to say, okay, I, now I know. Now I know really a fuller picture of what could be causing a problem, you know, in my diet that could be contributing to the inflammatory process that I'm already dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what I loved about it. And um, for my husband, he was dealing with atrial fibrillation and um, couldn't really figure out what was would trigger um, an episode for him. And he had his food allergy panel done, found out that he was number four plus reactive for baker's yeast um, and brewer's yeast. And boy, that's a tough one um, to be allergic to yeast because it's in like everything. And um, vinegars are difficult and, um, you know, any kind of sauces. <laughs> and so it's yeah, that is really a really hard one. 
Yeah, but we've, um, you know, it was interesting because if it kind of snuck it, you know, I felt like I was poisoning the poor guy. You know, if it somehow I it snuck in um, and I didn't realize it, he would inevitably have another palpitation. Um, Absolutely. You know, another episode. So it is, it's that inflammation, and that's really what um, was was causing the heart um, to kind of the electrical um, malfunction was inflammation. And so can I, I just interject? His, yeah. I'm oh, so sorry. Go ahead. Go Please. ahead. I just no, wanted to say one quick thing when we were talking before about the differences between food allergies and food sensitivities and intolerances. The truth of the matter is with, with food sensitivities, they can affect any organ system. Typically with food allergies, they're usually limited to airway, skin, and the GI tract. And then food intolerance is the same thing. They can affect any organ system. But the truth of the matter is, is that because of that, and this is probably one of the things that I, I'm sure I said to you, at, you know, and to your husband when, when we got his results back, I've seen every organ system affected. And so nothing is, and, and I, rem I remember in the, over in the wintertime, I was having a conversation with a cardiologist about another um, cardiac patient that I had that we did food sensitivity testing with, and they had a really amazing resolution. You know, one of the things that they're really drawing a very strong correlation with cardiovascular health is this inflammation component. And again, it's nothing different than what we're talking about today with PCOS. So with food sensitivities, because they can affect any organ, you have to really take them seriously. And again, it's going back to like, okay, well, it's not just happening at the level of the GI tract. These food complexes are forming in the GI tract, and then somehow they're getting out into the systemic body. And so once that cascade of events starts happening, that's when you start seeing problems and wreaking havoc in other aspects of the body that affect all the other systems or can affect all the other systems. Yeah, and you know, anyone listening that um, is really looking for another, um, to solve another piece of the PCOS puzzle and, um, you know, to, to have, as, as Dr. Margaret said, another tool, I would highly recommend um, this, uh, this food allergy panel and, um, and work with Dr. Margaret and she, um, you know, will tell you how you can do that. And I, I do want to just say one of the surprises for me on my um, panel was pineapple. And, you know, as a health mm -hmm. coach, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to have some pineapple after meals because the bromelain and, you know, helps digestive enzyme. And I thought, you know, this is something that I'm doing good, just a couple um, pieces after meals. And it was something that I enjoyed. It was kind of like a little dessert. But little did I know that that was, you know, kind of adding to um, my inflammation. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. And again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about how some people think that, like, you know, well, I'm eating this food because it's good, and, and it is good. Like, there's no, there's no, pineapple is not a bad food. It's just that your immune system responds to it very differently than somebody else like me. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a sensitivity to pineapple. And so if we can get closer to understanding which foods and being, this is where individualized medicine really sort of becomes an art form right? It's like all of a sudden that person with PCOS who's getting success can take it to that other, take it to another level and really understand what are the other additional components that are really playing a role. And so I'm looking forward to maybe people getting more and more exposed to this. Food sensitivities aren't going anywhere. Unfortunately, like, you know, it's just there on the rise and there's so many factors. That's a whole other show in itself too, Amy. But ultimately, I think if we can, can if we can 
really dial it back and use food as medicine, then we're going to get better across the board. You got to treat the gut. It's foundational medicine, and then and then you'll have success. There's no doubt. Right. Yeah. I mean, getting to the root cause, and I think this is one way to kind of get to that root cause. So, Dr. Dr. Margaret, why don't you tell us how um, you know we could reach out to you about um, you know the food allergies and um, maybe you know get one of these um, tests done for ourselves. Absolutely. Well, as you know, Amy, we're launching the Food First Project, and that um, information will hopefully, you know, be ready to, you know, be accessed um, when you launch your Sparkle program. But in the meantime, if somebody does want to get in touch with me, they can certainly call me and reach me at my office, 603-594-0002, or they could send an email at info at livingnaturalinc.com. That's info at livingnaturalinc.com. The ink is incorporated. And if any of your, um, anyone in your audience is interested in doing any testing um, with me, um, if they mention the coupon co code called Food Diva, we'll give them 10% off of their test and be happy to serve your community. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And oh, thank wonderful. You. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and thank you for joining us today and, um, you know, kind of getting this information out about this fabulous test and how it can really help women with PCOS kind of fine-tune, um, you know, their own, their own bodies and, and their um, care plan. Well, thank you so much. I'm so impressed with your work, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing some collaboration, and, and, and I'm just hopeful that all of your, your clients and audience can, can really find some great benefit through your programs and perhaps through um, something I offer down the road. Awesome. Yeah, I cannot wait for you to come back to talk about Ayurveda. Um, and, and for those listening, um, Dr. Margaret um, is an educator at Kripalu, which I, I still have not gotten there. I've, it's like on my bucket list. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, one day. One day I will. One day I'll be there with you. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, that wraps up our podcast today, and thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you might be listening to the show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I really love to hear from you. And don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access. And make sure that you never miss out on a future podcast. This is Amy Medling, and I'm wishing you good health, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye.